Well, go ahead and take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 2 is where we are this morning. Ruth chapter 2. Boy, I hope you had a great week this last week going through the just so happens in your life. It just so happened that Ruth fell upon Boaz's field. It just so happened that of all the people in Bethlehem that she could have gone to the field to go behind the reaper, she went into Boaz's field. It just so happened. I love the language that the author of Ruth uses to say her chance chanced upon the field as if chance had anything to do with it. There's no such thing as luck. Luck, there's no such thing as chance. There's no such thing as fate. And so I encourage you all with the homework assignment last week to go home and think through all of the just so happens in your life. How God has brought you exactly to the place that he has you today because it just so happened that so many things that he sovereignly ordained and allowed happen. Now, it's always hard to see those in the moment, right? We can't see them in the moment. It's always in the rear view mirror that we see the, oh, that's what you were doing, God. And that's why we love the book of Ruth. We can see how God is supernaturally and ordinarily working. He's not working with amazing signs and wonders, but he is still working miraculously. We talked about that last week as well, that God works supernaturally in ordinary ways, miraculously in ordinary ways. So last week we saw the luck of the lineage that Elimelech just so happened to have a nephew or a cousin or a brother or somebody that was this kinsman redeemer. His name is Boaz. The luck of a law, it just so happened that there was a law that God had put into place uh, decades earlier that said you could go if you had no job, if you had no money, if you were basically on Israel's welfare system, you could go into whatever field you wanted to and glean behind the reapers. And it just so happened that there was the luck of the location that she picked Boaz's field based on no human effort whatsoever. There's no fences, there's no... Uh, spotlight that would say, this is the field to go to. She just literally walks into a field and it happens to be Boaz's field. Many of you asked questions about Boaz and Ruth last week, and I am just very excited to get to introduce you to these two individuals and highlight their character on display this morning. So let's dive in. Ruth chapter 2, verses 5 through 13 this morning. Ruth chapter 2, verse 5. Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She's been sitting in the house for a little while. And Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I've commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then Ruth fell on her face bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? 
Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord and the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Father, as we come to this section of this profound book, I pray that you would give us a humility of heart to see where these shining pillars of biblical manhood and womanhood would point out deficiencies in our own character. That we would see what you've called women to be, what you've called men to be, how you've designed us and made us. God, I pray that you would make CBC a church where anybody who walks in these doors would see a picture of Ruth and a picture of Boaz in the way that men and women interact with each other and the way that husbands love their wives. God, in the way that women care and nurture and love and cherish those around them. God, thank you that we have so many of those examples in our church. And I pray that at the end of our time this morning, that we would be freshly aware of our inadequacies and that would propel us to the Lord's table. That we would say with Ruth, why have I found favor in the sight of God? And we would see where the gospel answers that question. So God, awaken in us a love for Christ. Awaken in us affections for him. Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from your law. And Father, I pray that if it be your will, by the power of your spirit, according to your word, that you would save some in this room who have yet to seek refuge under your wings. Help us all to do that this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. We are going to see a picture of Ruth and Boaz and the character, as we've talked about several times leading up to this section in Scripture. We're studying the book of Ruth so that we can see what biblical manhood and biblical womanhood looks like. We remember those eight reasons why we are going to study this book. One of those reasons is because we have such a beautiful picture of what it means to be a godly man and what it means to be a godly woman. And so this morning, we're going to highlight that because I believe Ruth is seen as a picture of a godly woman. Boaz is seen as a picture of what a godly man should look like. And this is not just in the context of marriage. Notice they are not married. They're singles. This is the way to do singlehood. This is the way to live out as a single man, a single woman before the Lord. This is how to do it properly, biblically, in a way that would glorify God. So you'll see in the text, it goes from Ruth to Boaz, back to Ruth, back to Boaz, and then it highlights both of them together. So we're going to take that as our outline this morning. First, the character of Ruth, then Boaz, then Ruth, then Boaz, then both of them together. So number one, Ruth. Let's highlight Ruth's character. Number one, Ruth is a hard worker. Ruth is a hard worker. Chapter two, verse, if you go back up to verse four, 
when she's gleaning in the field, Boaz comes from Bethlehem and says to the reapers, may the Lord be with you. And they say, may the Lord bless you. This is somebody that you would want to work for. This is an encouraging man who is very well off, who gives generously to other people. And in a day when idolatry is rampant, remember these are the days of the judges, Boaz is not doing whatever's right in his own eyes. He's doing what's right in the eyes of God. And he doesn't just speak to his reapers and and his workers by saying shalom, which is the normal Hebrew greeting. He says, may the Lord be with you. May you feel and sense the Lord's presence in your work this day. But then, as it just so happens that Boaz has shown up in this field to look out. Normally he wasn't there, but here he shows up and he sees the workers. His eyes come to this woman that he doesn't recognize. So verse 5, he says to his servant who is in charge of the workers, whose young woman is this? Maybe Boaz thinks this woman belongs to somebody, one of my workers. Maybe she's a distant relative because she's a Moabite woman, so she's not Jewish, but maybe somebody here knows who she is. What's the correct answer to his question? Whose woman is this? Who does she belong to? How did she get here? What is the relationship? Uh, The correct answer to this question is she is no one's. She doesn't have a husband who could call her a wife. He has passed away. She doesn't have kids who would call her a mother. She doesn't have parents who would call her a daughter. She has a mother-in-law, but remember what Naomi said about Ruth? If you go back to chapter 1, Ruth was kind of forgotten. Naomi kind of forgot that Ruth was even there. She doesn't have anybody. She is nobody's. And yet, though Ruth doesn't belong to anybody, she belongs to somebody. She belongs to God. When Boaz says, whose woman is this? Who does she belong to? How is she related to anybody? How did she get here? The answer is, she's God's, and God is the reason why she's here. God put her in your field to interact with you. Now, he says, whose young woman is this? She's young. She's younger than Boaz. She's probably significantly younger than Boaz. Boaz might have been as old as Elimelech, which means that Boaz could be as old as being Ruth's father. So this is probably why there's no instant romantic connection here. There isn't an instant romantic connection of Boaz saying, oh, I think this woman might be my wife. He just wants to take care of her. But I believe that this is informative to our understanding of relationships. How many times do you hear the phrase, same season of life, right? I just want to be friends with somebody who's in the same season of life as I am. That's how I'll develop relationships. And it's good to have people that are in the same season of life. But Boaz is not in the same season of life as Ruth is. And yet they're going to have the greatest connection of all. They're going to be married. So relationships are not always dependent upon, never have to be dependent upon age. You remember David and Jonathan? Best friends, right? Probably about 20 years that divides them. They're best friends. Ruth and Boaz... They're going to become best friends. Age does not have to matter. And I think our culture makes it matter, right? I think our culture makes it matter, but it doesn't have to matter. Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers, verse 6, says, She's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. So twice, 
let's just make sure you know, Boaz, she's a Moabite woman. She's not from around here. She's a foreigner. So he says twice she's a Moabite woman. And she returned with Naomi. Now, this is very interesting because how would he know that she's related to Naomi? Do you remember Naomi shows back up in Bethlehem after spending 10 or so years in Moab, comes back to Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, she is wearied from all of the bitter circumstances. I don't think that she is bitter, but I think she has gone through, obviously, bitter circumstances. She's despairing. She's blinded by her suffering. And so she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. I've gone through bitter things. So she's explained what has happened. And here's Ruth. She explains why Ruth is by her side. And word has gotten around in Bethlehem. This is Naomi's daughter-in-law. And what did she do? Verse 7. She showed up in your field, Boaz, and she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she has come and has remained here from the morning until now. She's been sitting in the house for a little while. Ruth is a hard worker. Number one, she doesn't assume that she can be there. She shows up and she asks. She didn't have to ask, and that's actually point number two that we're going to get to about Ruth. She's humble in the way that she works hard. She didn't have to ask. But she asks, can I please be in this field? I'm sure the person who was watching over the field, maybe this man himself, said, of course, you don't have to ask for that. This is what we do in the land of Israel. And she has worked hard from morning until now. And she's finally taken a seat. She's been working all morning long, all day long. She's exhausted. And she sits down. She had been working the entire morning in such a way that Boaz if he had gone to the field, probably wouldn't have seen her. Just picking up grain behind people. But it just so happens that she gets exhausted, goes to sit down under the shade of this little hut, and that's when Boaz says, who's that person? It just so happens. Yahweh is involved in even the most ordinary providences of their meeting that day. Just, I'm tired, I've been working all day. She's a hard worker. But what do you think she looks like right now? What do you think she smells like right now? Uh, I was working in my fields yesterday. Not that I have fields, but... You all who have been over to my house, you know that there's a portion of my property that I could not care less about. It has become overrun with weeds, and I only attend to it when I see those weeds from my house. So from my playroom uh, where the kids are, I can see through the window and the weeds have gone up past my fence and that's when I go, I have to do something about this. It's taken about four days to mow the field, just disgusting. Uh, Yesterday, no, it was Friday, uh, I had spent all morning long, all day long, it was a hotter day than we've had in, in a while, all day long just mowing, edging, getting this all ready, trying to get it cleared out. We're going to try and get some dirt removed, put the weed eater stuff down on it. I was working hard, just sweating like a maniac. Chelsea has violin lessons at uh, 2.15, and Hannah said, hey, can you go wait for the violin teacher to show up at your door? And so I go in there, and I realize, number one, I'm just huffing and puffing because I am out of breath. I am so out of shape, and I've been working my fields all day long. And number two, I look down, and I have just pit stains all over my shirt. I smell disgusting. And right about the time that I think, this is not the best site to welcome the violin teacher, I hear, 
at my door, and I just had to, first thing, hello, I'm so sorry, I smell terrible, I've been out working my field. I didn't say that. <laughs> Boaz sees Ruth, and he is not attracted in any romantic sense to her, but he is attracted to something about her, and it's not her external appearance. It's not the way she looks. It's not the way she smells. It can't be those things. In fact, nowhere in the book of Ruth are we told what Ruth looks like, not even what her eyes look like, the color of her eyes. Nowhere in Ruth do we see her physical appearance. It's just her character. Boaz takes notice that Ruth took initiative to care for her mother-in-law. She took initiative to care for her, to provide for her. Boaz notices that Ruth is humble. She doesn't presume. She takes initiative and asks questions. She doesn't demand. She's industrious. She's hardworking. She's an amazingly hard worker. So first we see about Ruth, that Ruth is a hardworking woman. This is from Proverbs 31. Wakes up before the sun's come out, goes to bed after the sun has gone down, works hard. Ladies, are you a hard worker? Are you like Ruth, who works hard, who at the end of the day, you can put your head on the pillow, pillow and say, I had a very good day of hard work. Do you toil? Do you labor? Do you strive? Is your day-to-day -day activity one of working hard? And men, is that the woman that you're looking for if you're single? Is that the encouragement that you can give to your wife if you're married? Ruth is a hard worker. What about Boaz? Boaz, number two, a character quality that we'll see in Boaz. He lovingly provides and protects. Boaz lovingly provides and protects. This is verses 8 and 9. Boaz says to Ruth, so he talks to his head servant over the reaping and gleaning in the fields. Here's the answer about who Ruth is. Goes up to Ruth. And he says this, listen carefully, my daughter. Again, that shows us kind of the age difference here. Listen carefully, my daughter. I, he sees her as a daughter. I want to take care of you. Don't go to glean in another field. Furthermore, don't go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Literally, the word is cling to my maids. It was the same word that was used in chapter one to speak of Ruth clinging to Naomi. I'm not going to let you go. Cling to my maids. Why? Because they know the field. They will take care of you. They also know who to watch out for. They know the bad crowds to stay away from. They will take care of you. This is Boaz saying, I want to protect you. I want to make sure you're safe, Ruth. He sees her as someone that he will provide for and protect, just like a father would. Stay here with my maids. And then he says this, let your eyes be on the field which they reap. Go after them. They'll help you. And indeed, I've commanded the servants not to touch you. Boaz is instituting the first anti-sexual harassment policy in the workplace recorded in the Bible. Don't touch this woman. In a day when women were treated very poorly, and especially in a day in the, judge, in the time of the judges when every man does that which is right in their own eyes, this is a godless town, this is a godless nation, and he says, don't touch her. Don't touch her. I love that. I just imagine those words being very different to the men that he was speaking to than to Ruth. To Ruth, it was, I've commanded them not to touch you. 
To the men, it was probably, listen, listen, boys, listen to me very clearly. I own a very large field, and if you touch her and I hear about it, I will bury your body somewhere in this field, and no one will find it. Do not touch her. He protects her. He protects her. And then he goes beyond that. When you're thirsty, middle of verse 9, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. This is another cultural understanding. You would, especially if you were a foreigner, you could not hang out at an Israelite well. You had to go somewhere else to draw your water. But you'd have to clearly go out, especially if you're Ruth, going in as a foreigner to glean from this man's field. You'd have to go somewhere else. You can't just draw water from his house. You can glean grain from his field, but you can't go in and just pick up water from the water cooler in his house. But he says you have all access to that. We're going to see that he's going to give her a meal uh, next week. We're going to see that he's going to take care of her, give her food to take back to Naomi. He's providing and he is protecting. Notice what Ruth gets from Boaz, provision and protection. And that's why her response is going to be what it is in verse 10. But notice what Boaz has before he speaks to Ruth. Before he speaks to Ruth, he has a job and a very good one at that. He knows how to protect people. He knows how to provide for them. And he knows how to care for not only their physical needs, but speak kindly to their heart, their emotional needs. Again, ladies, if you are single and you are looking for a man, make sure that that man has a job before he speaks to you. Make sure that that man knows how to provide for you and to protect you and to speak kindly to your heart. A lot of men know how to speak very well, but not speak tenderly with emotion to your heart. And that's what Boaz is able to do. He treats her with chivalry just the way that we are supposed to treat our women. Men, we need to make sure that we treat the ladies of CBC with the utmost kindness, care, respect. We need to make sure that we love them and cherish them and care for them. Boaz has virtually considered every conceivable way to make sure that Ruth gleans only in his field. She is given permission to follow freely behind the reapers. She's invited to drink from the company water cooler. And she doesn't have to walk back into town if she runs out of water. And she's going to be offered free meals. She's been given everything. So men, what does this tell us about biblical manhood? We've got Ruth works hard. Men, what are we called to do? If I can give it to you in a little phrase, this is a phrase that my sons know. This is a phrase that when I ask my sons, what does it mean that God has called you to be a man? What does that look like? Tyler can't quite answer yet. <laughs> because he's Tyler, but Ethan will look at you in the eyes and he will say, I have been called to lead in love, to provide, and to protect. And that was before I even got to Ruth. And I realized that's exactly what Boaz is doing. Boaz is leading. He's taking the initiative. I've already spoken to my workers. I've already made the arrangements. You can drink freely. You can eat freely. And nobody's going to touch you. I'm going to lead in love. I'm going to provide, and I'm going to protect. Gentlemen, that's what we've been called to do. We've been called to do that in every single area. This is not just marriage. And we're going to talk about that more uh, come Father's Day, about how being a father does not just mean being a, a, a husband who has had a, a son or a daughter, 
It means much more than that, but it means providing, protecting, and leading in love. So men, do you provide and protect? Do you lead in love? And ladies, are you looking for a man who would do that well? Ruth is a hard worker. Boaz lovingly provides and protects. Number three, Ruth is humble. We're going to go back to Ruth now. Verse 10, she falls on her face, bowing to the ground. And she says to him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? I know who I am and you should not notice me, but you have. Why is that? She's humble. She's not only hardworking, but she's humble. She's not presumptuous. She takes the initiative to go to uh, the, the worker of the field and say, am I allowed to work here? And then when she's told she can, when Boaz shows up and says, I'm going to care for you, she says, why would you take favor of me? Why would you take notice of me? She's not assuming this is what I've earned, this is what I deserve. She's overwhelmed by Boaz's kindness. She knows she deserves nothing. She's acutely aware of her lowly status. And that's why verse 10 is incredibly profound. Notice how different she is from most people today. We were just talking about this in Family Bible Hour. Most people today feel that they are victims, that the world has treated them wrongly, and that they have gotten uh, things that they have not deserved in a bad way. She's the exact opposite. She knows she is a, if I can say it, victim of kindness and grace. She knows that she has gotten something that she doesn't deserve in a good way. She's so different. She has no sense of entitlement. She has no sense of entitlement. She knows she's a foreigner. She doesn't demand anything. She's humble. And this tells us something profound about her character. People don't feel amazed at being treated well if they're prideful, right? If you're prideful, you're not going to be amazed when people treat you well because you're going to think, that's exactly what I deserve. They don't feel deep gratitude and gratefulness, but humble people do. In fact, humble people feel even more humble when they are given favor and loved and cared for. So, Boaz speaks kindly to her, gives her favor, and because of that, she is undone. Ruth is hardworking, and Ruth is humble. She says, why have you taken notice of me? And that leads to The last point about Boaz specifically, this is point number four. Boaz trusts in a God who protects and provides for his own. Boaz, we're going to see this in verses 11 and 12. Boaz trusts in a God who protects and provides for his own. And listen to how he says this. He's going to answer her question in verse 10. Why have I found favor in your sight? And this is the answer. Verse 11, Boaz replies to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. Again, Naomi told it to somebody who told it to somebody who told it to somebody, and now he knows everything about her. And how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and you came to a people that you did not previously know. Everybody has been told of Ruth's loyalty. This is actually the first mention of Ruth's father in this book. Remember, uh, Naomi said, go back to your mother. Go back and get married to somebody. But here's the first mention of Ruth's father, meaning that they were probably both still alive. Ruth made a decision to leave father and mother behind and to go with Naomi. And the word to leave or uh, how you left in verse 11, that's the exact same word that's used in Genesis 2.24 to speak of leaving your father and mother and cleaving to your wife and becoming one flesh. 
It's literally the word for abandoned. You have abandoned your family to be joined to a new family. He says, I've heard all about you. I've heard all about you. Verse 12, may the Lord reward your work. I've heard what you've done, and I want God to bless you for what you've done. This is a prayer. Verse 12 is a prayer. May the Lord reward you for your work, and may your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel. It's very interesting because we know the end of the story, and we know that Boaz is going to answer his own prayer. He's going to say, man, I hope God blesses you, and God's going to say yes and give Ruth Boaz. So Boaz is going to be the answer to his own prayer. But notice why Boaz says, I want you to be rewarded. That's a hard word because we don't think of rewards in, in God's terminology. We think of grace. This does not cancel out what grace does. Listen to what he says. I want you, verse 12, to be rewarded by the Lord for your work and that your wages would be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have taken refuge under the wings of the Lord, under, from, from the Lord, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. This is weird. Does God have wings? No, he doesn't have wings. He's not a bird. This is a beautiful analogy. It's a beautiful metaphor. It's a metaphor that speaks of the tender, kind protection and provision that God the Father offers us. Let me, I'm just going to give you a litany of verses. You can write down the references, you can listen to them, and you can look them up on your own time. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11. There is a reference there to God carrying the nation of Israel out from Egypt under his wings. I've, I've carried you under my wings. I've protected you, and I've carried you out of Egypt. That's also used in Exodus 19, verse 4, when the actual Exodus account is happening. Psalm 17, verse 8. The psalmist writes, keep me as the apple of the eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings. Hide me, comfort me, protect me, give me security. Psalm 36, verse 7, how precious is your loving kindness, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 57, verse 1, be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, because my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. Psalm 63, verse 7, you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. Psalm 91, verse 4, he will cover you with his wings, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a fortress. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 20, 23, verse 37, Jesus himself uses this imagery when he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, you stone those who have been sent to you. If only you would have been gathered together under the wings of God, the way that a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Under his mighty wings, you realize there is danger and I need protection. There's abandonment out there and I need security. There is lack out there and I need provision. To, to hide under the wings of God means to, to ultimately say, I deny everything out there and I find only security, comfort, love, affection, tenderness, care, provision, protection, only in God alone. This is what Ruth did in chapter 1. Remember, your God, my God, your people, my people. I am with you all the way. I love, I serve, I trust Yahweh alone. Ruth's allegiance is to God. And what Boaz says 
is, Ruth, we know your allegiance is to God alone, and therefore I want you to reap the benefits and the blessings of saying he is better by far than anything this world has to offer. Obedience always brings joy. And Boaz knows that, and so he says, I trust in a God who provides and protects for those who are his own. And Ruth, I want you to experience that. Why does God do this? Why does God love to provide and protect those who are his own, those who find refuge under his wings? Three verses. Psalm 147, verse 10. The Lord takes pleasure in those who hope in his steadfast love. He loves those who hope in his steadfast love, who come to him and him alone to find their satisfaction. Psalm 143, verse 11. The Lord loves to bring glory to his name by saving those who trust in him. He glorifies his name as he saves those who trust in him. And then Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. You guys know this verse. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For the person who must have faith must believe two things. What are the two things that the author of Hebrews says defines saving faith? There's two things in that verse. Write it down. Hebrews 11, verse 6. There's two things. If anybody wants to come to God in a saving relationship, you must believe two things. Number one, that he is, that he exists. You have to believe in him. And number two, that he is the rewarder of all who seek him. To be saved, you have to come to a place where you say, I believe the promises of God and he rewards those who trust in him. That's exactly what Ruth is doing. She says, I believe that God will reward, will take care of, will protect those who trust in him. Brothers and sisters, this is communion. This is exactly why we're here this morning to celebrate communion, because we are reminding ourselves that we have run into the fortress of God. We've been covered in the shelter of Jesus' righteousness, and we are saying, I bank on that, and I trust that, and I trust that because of me trusting in that, heaven is mine. I was just talking to my son a couple days ago, and I asked him, Ethan, if you were to die today, and you were to stand before God, and God were to say, why should I let you into heaven, what would your answer be? And he looked, went like this, which I don't know how he figured that is the thinking face. And he said, I'd tell him you have to be perfect. (laughs) Which I said, yes, that's good. That's not the end of the story. Let's get to the rest of the story. That's not the gospel. I said, Ethan, can you be good? Can you be perfect? Can you be sinless? And he said, nope. I said, so how can you get to heaven if you have to be perfect and you are not? And he goes, I don't know. And I thought that's the beautiful predicament of the gospel. You and I need to be perfect to get to heaven. If we're going to get there on our own, we have to be sinless, right? We have to be perfect. And God's word tells us that we are not perfect. We are all sinful people. Romans 3.23, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all know that. We know what guilt feels like. So then how can one be saved? I turned the question on myself, and I said, Ethan, this is what I would say. If I were to die and I were to stand before God and God were to ask me, why should I let you into my heaven? I would answer him, you should not. I don't deserve to be in heaven. I am a sinner who deserves only to be in hell. I deserve your punishment. I deserve the wrath that I have stored up for myself because of my sin. I don't deserve to be in heaven. But you said in the Bible that you sent somebody who is perfect. 
and he died in my place. And as much as I know in my own heart, I trusted in that sacrifice. So why should I be in heaven? Not because of anything I've done. I'm just banking on the promises of who you sent in my place. I'm hiding myself under the shadow of your wings so that as the penalty that I deserve is being poured out upon me, Jesus steps in the way. He receives the penalty. He shields me. He protects me. So it's not because of me that I should be in heaven. It's because of Jesus. And I cling to him. I cling to him alone. That's why Boaz says, I I pray that, Ruth, you will know the reward that is yours because of trusting in God. He provides for those who are his own. He protects those who are his own. And I hope, Ruth, you know that. I I just have to ask, with these elements before us, as we're going to partake of communion in a couple minutes, have you hidden yourself under the wings of God? Do you know, without a shadow of a doubt, that if you were to die tonight and stand before God, that you have found refuge under his workings, not your own? You need to be perfect. He alone is perfect, and he has given you a way to wear his perfection so that your sin can be taken out of your account and put into Jesus' account, and God the Father can punish Jesus as if he had sinned and lived our sinful lives. And then Jesus' perfection has been taken from him and given to us, placed into our account. Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that his perfection is yours? If you know that, then that's why we celebrate these elements. We celebrate them because we know we're hidden in the refuge and the fortress of Jesus. But if you don't know that, number one, these elements aren't for you, but number two, today is the day to run into the refuge of Christ. Today is the day to hide yourself in his perfect work. Don't don't wait another moment. Run into the wings of Jesus. Be protected, provided for, cared for by his finished work on the cross. We're not done here, though. Boaz says, I want you to be rewarded because you have placed your trust in the refuge of God. Now we see two elements. We've got Ruth as a hard worker, and she's humble. Boaz leads in love, provides and protects, and he knows that he trusts in a God who does that for his own. And here's point number five to wrap it all up. Boaz is tender, and Ruth is thankful. Boaz is tender, and Ruth is thankful. Verse 13, then she said, I have found favor in your sight. Literally grace. I've been graced. I've been found, fav- I've found favor in your sight. And indeed, you have, you have comforted me and indeed spoken kindly to your mates. I love that word kindly. You have a little note by it in your Bible. It's literally, you've spoken to my heart. Boaz is a tender man. And men, I just I want to ask you, are you a tender man? Again, our culture, our culture knows nothing. We have a, a culture that has a completely broken moral compass. So don't look to the culture to figure out what it means to be a man. Look to the Bible. And the Bible says that men are to be tender. Men are to speak tender words literally to the heart of those who are around him. Not even in a romantic sense. This isn't romantic. This is just loving, kind, and caring. Boaz is tender. Boaz didn't have to do any of the things that he's doing. That's not the letter of the law. But Boaz is not a man about the letter of the law. He's a man of grace. 
And people of grace are never interested in the letter of the law. They're never interested in that. How can I go above and beyond to care? So Ruth bows low. Humble people do this. Proud people don't bow low. They say, you've given me everything that I deserve, and I probably need a little bit more. So she just humbly says, thankfully says, I'm a foreigner. I'm not like one of your maidservants, and yet you've given me favor. Boaz is tender. Ruth is thankful. Why did Ruth find favor in Boaz's eyes? Is it because he likes her? No. Because he's romantically interested in her? No. Some of you might say, well, this story was supposed to be romantic. Where are the butterflies? They're not here yet. Butterflies are coming. But please note that the butterflies begin after a foundation of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood has been laid. You need that foundation, and then the butterflies will come. So, as we wrap up, Ruth is a hardworking, humble, thankful person. She has an amazing work ethic. She doesn't cloak a prideful laziness with a feigned confidence in the sovereignty of God. Well, I'm just going to sit home because God's sovereign. I'm going to wait for him to provide. No, she knows James chapter 4, verse 17, even though it hadn't been written yet. I don't have to be told what to do. I know what to do, and I don't have to wait. I'm going to go do it. I have two, two hands. I have a strong back. No labor is beneath me. Her humility is so evident, and it's met with great grace. God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the prideful. She's a hard worker. She's humble, and she's thankful. She takes nothing for granted. Boaz leads in love, provides and protects. He's protective towards Ruth. He cares for her. And when Ruth says, why have you noticed me? Why have you recognized me? I'm an unrecognizable person. Boaz's answer is, because I've heard of everything you've done. It's very interesting because as we come to these elements, when we get to the gospel, we realize we can't hear the same answer that Ruth heard. Ruth said, why have I been given this much favor? And Boaz says, well, it's because of what you've done. But as we come before the Lord through the gospel, we say, okay, God, why have you loved me so much? Why have you given me so much love? And the answer that we hear from God is not, well, because you've worked so hard. The answer that we hear from God is because I've worked so hard in your place and I've lavished my love upon you. We come as beggars before the Lord and we say, I need shelter from the storm of your wrath against my sin. I need shelter from the storm of the penalty that I deserve because of my sin and I'm going to find it in Christ and in Christ alone. That's why we come together and we celebrate these elements. So men, look at what it means to be a biblical man. Women, look at what it means to be a biblical woman. But know that in your deficiencies, because we all fall short, in your deficiencies there is much grace for you to find as you run into the shelter of the arms of your Savior. Father, we thank you so much for the book of Ruth and the fact that it teaches us so much practically about what it means to be a godly man and a godly woman and we fall short all the time and that's why we say with Ruth, why have I found favor in your sight? Why do you love me? Just like she says, I'm unrecognizable. I'm a foreigner. We were the greatest foreigners. Completely alienated from your family. We were your enemies, Romans 5 says. And yet, because you first loved us, you befriended us, you spoke kindly to our hearts, just as Boaz did to Ruth. You loved us. You died for us. And God, we place ourselves under the refuge and shelter of Christ. 
So we don't look inward to find validation as to why you have loved us. We look upward. Your amazing grace, your amazing kindness. Father, I pray that as we prepare to take communion together, that we would be encouraged to run again and again under the wings of our God, to find refuge in Him and Him alone, to find satisfaction, provision, and protection from Him and Him alone. And that this would be a renewal of that covenant, not on your end. It's an everlasting covenant that you've made with us and you will never go back on it. But our hearts are prone to wander. And so this is a a great opportunity to renew that covenant with you and to run into your arms. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.